great, great, great time. Last year we were absolutely packed out. We expect it to be the same uh, this year. If you turn in your Bibles this morning to Second Timothy chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 8. We're going to finish the first chapter here this morning. And again, I want to draw attention to where Paul is and to his circumstance, because it's so important in light of what he's going to say next. Because I think many of us, I know I do at times, I have wondered the big question, why? You know, God, why, why have you allowed this maybe now in my life? And as I've shared with you before, I think the more important question is what? Lord, what are you doing through these circumstances you've allowed? Paul is, in essence, falsely accused. He's a Roman citizen. He's done nothing to warrant even being in prison, much less warranting the death penalty which he's going to receive. He's going to die. He's going from this place after writing this letter, and he will be killed. So about the last thing in the world you would expect from most human beings at that point in time is for him to be concerned about others, for him to be absolutely certain of his life. You see, in a human sense, when we think of where he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it, We we would say this is unfair. It's unjust. Paul has served the Lord for more than 30 years. You would think he'd be exempt from suffering. Amen? I think a lot of people look at that. You know, well, Lord, if I serve you in the church and the children's ministry, especially if I change diapers, I will have an exemption from all suffering. Not so, family of God. Matter of fact, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Now, that suffering could be mentally, it could be emotionally, it could be financially. There's all methods that that the world can cause those difficulties in our life. Some people physically. This life is uncertain, and Scripture declares it's a vapor. And in fact, this life actually is not our life. The, The life that we live after we step out of time into eternity is the important part. And so Paul, now drawing attention to that unashamed life that he has now proclaimed Jesus with, and he has the certainty of heaven. Family of God, if you're here this morning and you do not have the certainty of heaven, I pray you listen well. I I pray that you are hearing the message that God loves you, And I pray that you're hearing the message that the answer to the uncertainty of the world is the certainty of heaven. That's the answer. It may not get all squared away in this life. You know, things may happen. It may occur in your life that you suffer greatly. But I can tell you this. Our hope is not here. Our hope is heaven. Our hope is eternal life. And this passage gives that picture for us so that we'll be focused correctly, so that we'll have that absolute heavenly perspective in our lives. And for me, uh, with all that's going on in the world today, you know, as as I listen to the bantering back and forth and the political punditry as they, you know, they're, well, the, you know, the U.S. is gonna absolutely crash. We're going to give up on the full faith, and you've heard it this week, the full faith and credit of the United States government. I have no faith in the United States government. My faith is in Christ Jesus. I have hope that God will square those things away, but I do not have faith in the White House. I have faith in a heavenly mansion not made with hands. 
We need to make sure our faith is in the right place. Because to have faith in faith or hope on hope is silliness. And so this morning, unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we again draw our attention to your holy word, Lord, the words of life, Lord, the truth, all that we need for godliness and living while we're here on this earth. We pray that you administer to us and strengthen us, Lord. We pray for those that have come and they're troubled. Their hearts are overwhelmed with the things of life. Would we remember that it is eternal life that truly matters? It's the life that we step into when we take our last breath that really counts. And so, God, we pray that you would bless us, anoint us, attend unto the needs and the cries of your children this day. We even dare to ask you to bless us, God. We love you. We thank you for this day and all that it will do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Verse 8 here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, And therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. It is the testimony of the Lord that got Paul in trouble. Can I say to you that you're going to get in trouble for the testimony of the Lord if it's real in your life? You're going to offend people. You're going to make enemies. You're going to have people mock you. You may well lose a job. You will probably have financial things that will come in your life that would not come if you'd simply buy into the ways of the world and forget God and His Word. You will suffer. There are things that are going to come into your life specifically because you love the Lord. But don't be ashamed of that testimony. Don't back away from the plate. I, I, this, it's baseball time. You know, I, I, and I'm watching some of these new young kids coming up, and there's a guy now that's throwing, what, 107 miles an hour? Now, I don't know how many of you have ever played real baseball. I have. In fact, I was a pitcher. I can tell you that it, when you're standing there and that ball's coming in at you, you, you've got less than two seconds to react to it, okay? That's how fast it happens. And, and all of a sudden, here comes that high inside fastball, and it's aimed at your head. Your, your first reaction is, I'm out of here. I'm bailing. I'm gone. That's the enemy. The enemy likes to throw the high inside fastball at your head so that you'll run. So it shall jump out of the batter's box. I'm not playing anymore. You can't do that if you want to win. You're going to forfeit the game. And, and I say to you this morning, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. You're going to have to stand there and fight off those hard pitches. You're, you're going to have to take cuts at it. You may not make it. You, you may not get a hit. But can I say to you, go down swinging? Don't stand there and and wait until you're called out. Swing. Swing for the fences. Nor me, notice this, the, the person that Paul is, his prisoner. He actually says here, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I may be under the thumb of Rome. I may be here because... Nero is the ruler right now of the Roman Empire, and he hates Christians. But I'm really here because of Christ. 
And I'm willing to be here because of Christ. Do you realize the dedication it takes to say that? Are we that dedicated? But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. From God's perspective, and this is the eternal perspective, from God's perspective, he's seen all of this. There isn't a mistake in your life. You you didn't all of a sudden come under the sway of the wicked one in such a way that God is helpless and hopeless to do what he needs to do. These things are a well-thought-out, calculated plan by God, even the difficult things. Now, am I saying that God's the author of evil? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is in his sovereign plan, whatever he allows in your life, he has a purpose for allowing it. Whatever he brings into your life, he has a purpose in bringing it. There are no mistakes from God's perspective. There are no surprises. God, do you realize God cannot be surprised? When, when, when God embarks on every day, he's not getting up asking for information. Boy, I sure don't know what's going to happen, so I hope somebody tells me. You know, I, 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 where did Jeff go? He was over here yesterday, and now he's over here, and I don't know how he got there. From God's perspective, it's a finely tuned universe that we walk in. Now, we have a tough time with that, because we do get cancer. We have a tough time with that because people abandon us. We, we've become abused. Maybe you've been physically assaulted. Maybe your children have had issues in school and you're wondering, I raised them better. How could this be happening to me? But God's not surprised. It didn't take him all of a sudden for however many billions of years he might have been thinking on this in eternity, eternity time past. He went, wow, I sure missed that. He has everything perfectly in view. He, he's not messed up with the plan. And, can I say to you, he's not just reacting either. We do that. We react to situation. God plans everything. He goes on to say, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. And he's using the Greek word there, appearing. It's epiphania. It is an epiphany. It's the actual literal appearing of Christ at that time. It was the Lord coming to earth, being born of a virgin, being the offered Son of God. Jesus Christ made these things possible. And in making them possible, he also secured them with his own life offered up for us. It is an absolute statement of certainty. Why? Because he, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, when Jesus Christ offered his life and he said to Telestai, it is finished, it's finished. Life has been made possible, eternity has been made possible in heaven through the death, the burial, and the consequent resurrection of Jesus Christ. It now is not just a possibility, it is a reality. It is no longer a thought in the mind of man, it is a certainty for all who 
confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they shall be saved. So he starts speaking of the certainty of his own life. Now remember where he is. He's in prison awaiting death. And he's saying, I'm not worried about it. Does he want to be beheaded? Of course not. Jesus himself asked if there be any way to take this cup from me, this suffering, this difficulty. Then, Father God, please do that. But understand this, I'll go to the cross willingly. Paul's saying much the same thing. He said, my life isn't a whole lot of fun right now, but my certainty is not in life. It's in eternal life. My certainty is not in today. It's in eternity. He's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. In other words, Paul's making the plain statement, guys, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. And family of God, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, it actually is your calling also now to make sure that other people hear the gospel message. And I'm not saying that each of you needs to go start a church and become a pastor. I'm not saying that every one of you, if you're not teaching Sunday school, you're out of God's will. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that your life should be a gospel life. Your life should account for the cause of Christ. People should know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life because of your life. It's living a gospel life. Paul happened to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. He's the combination of the three gifts that, that most directly proclaim the gospel message. But make no mistake, your life proclaims the gospel message. It's in your home with your children. It's in the workplace. It's at the store when you purchase groceries. It's every moment of every day you have an opportunity to proclaim Christ crucified to the world. I often get asked, well, why aren't you, you know, how come you're not worried about all these things going on in our world? Because I know the end of the story. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto the day of Christ Jesus. I know where I'm going. I know where everybody's going who loves the Lord. And so my task becomes, how can I help other people see that way? And that truth and that life. Because no man gets to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying with absolute certainty, because I know where I'm going. When I take my last breath here, when Nero is able to have my head removed from my body, this earthly tent stays here. But he can't kill my soul. And my spirit is eternal, and I know where I'm going. Hallelujah. And for this reason I suffer these things. And nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep that that I have committed unto Him until that day. That's certainty, family of God. That's not someone sitting in a cell going, I just don't know. I'm not sure. What if this whole thing's been a farce? Family, look on your own life, and you know it's real. 
your relationship with Christ. You know you're changed. You know your mind's been re- renewed. You, you've seen it. Don't abandon that for the lies of the God of this age. It is that which is done for Christ that's going to count. It's the only thing that's going to last. Eternal value is in eternal things. This world is not eternal. Scripture plainly declares that one day the universe itself will be rolled up as a scroll. That one day He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. This present reality which we live in will be no more at some point in time. And the reality that actually is, which is eternal life, will become the norm. Paul had that certainty now. Can you say that about your life? Because I want to tell you something, it's freeing. You you can live that kind of life now. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I simply know who holds it. And I know what he is and who he is and what he thinks about me and about you and about lost people. My confidence is in my God. And so when I ponder today, I ponder it in light of the reality of who my God is. So when I think about my unsaved family, he wants them saved more than I do. When I think about my own difficulties or trials or tribulations, he wants to solve them more than I do. When I think about my children, he wants them godly in Christ Jesus more than I do. You see, when I, when I really realize what it means to be a Christian and the certainty with which I now can speak and live and have my being, all of a sudden the things of this earth pale in comparison to the greatness of the glory of my God. Amen? It should. You should be excited about these things. As we... Go through our lives on this earth. I see so many Christians there. I call them Eeyore Christians. Woe is me. I lost my tail. You know, we just, we wander around. We're looking for our tail when we've already got the head. We, we shouldn't be that way. And I'm not diminishing in any way, shape, or form anybody's difficulties. Please do not make that mistake. But what I am saying is, greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. Amen? We need to live that way. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not a Wednesday night thing. It is a life to be lived. He's able to keep what I have committed to him until the day that he comes to wrap all this up. Hold fast to the pattern. I love that word. It actually could be translated uh, perhaps plan or architectural drawing or a schematic. Hold fast to that which was drawn in heaven long, long ago before you were ever born. The plan of God. That, That marvelous plan for this world. You know, sometimes we look around the world and all we see is the the effects of sin. We, we just see the problems and we forget the problem solver. We, we forget the one who is able to keep. 
Hold fast to that pattern of sound works which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. The sum and substance of our life in Christ is really faith and love, isn't it? And then consequently, we add to it the third thing, hope, faith, hope, and love. When I recognize who Jesus is, I walk in faith, hope, and love. Does it mean that occasionally I, I, I don't, you know, that I'm perfect and I don't worry about something? No, but I'm not supposed to. His word plainly declares that. I'm supposed to walk in who I am in Christ Jesus. We all have difficulties. We all face things that we can't fix, that we can't change. The, the question is, whose resources are you dependent upon? We need to be dependent upon Christ. We need to stop clinging to the things of the world and put our full faith and trust in Him. Not in Washington. Not in your bank accounts. Not in your retirement plan. Not in your family. Not in your friends. Not in your spouse. Not in your children. In Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that will never leave you or forsake you. Family, sometimes not so much. Friends, pretty frequently, not so much. Federal government, almost always, not so much. Where's your hope and trust lie? Proclaim Christ Jesus unashamedly. Those things which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. Family, you can't do it on your own power. These things which I say to you, I preach to you, I speak to you, I teach to you this morning, you cannot do in just your own power. It's not a mental exercise. It's not simply knowledge. In fact, Scripture declares that knowledge puffs up. You'll get your head so full of stuff that eventually it'll explode. For we walk by faith and not by sight, because if we walk by sight, we simply deceive ourselves. If all you're doing is learning, then there's no component of faith. And that which is of faith pleases God, and that which is not of faith does not please God. There's an element of faith to it. I'm believing by faith that these things are true, but my faith has legs in the reality of the life that I live. That's why Paul has said, I know whom I have believed. I know my Jesus. My Jesus has been changing my life since I first committed my life to Him at age 13. I know whom I have believed. I've watched it. I've seen it in you. I've seen it in countless thousands, tens of thousands, and yea, in my position at the camp, Hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Have I seen this reality of Christ in me, the hope of glory? And he says, you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. For this you know. He goes on to give the flip side of the coin, the human aspect of this But this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus, Hermogenes, 
The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiris, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. For the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy on the day of the Lord. And you know very well how many things and how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. He, he says, you know, people will disappoint you. And people will be a blessing to you. That's the reality of people, family of God. And so these things that we see in this passage of Scripture, are you ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ? I ask you a simple question. Are you ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ? I pray not. We had a thing, we went down the hill yesterday, we needed to, you know, we have two Labradors, and they they can create actually a dust storm that engulfs our neighborhood, so we decided we need to put some wood chips in the backyard, which we usually refresh every year or so. So we went down the hill, and we're at Home Depot, and you know we're loading up all these wood chips, and we came out, and, and here was a, a handicapped homeless man. You know, it would have been really easy to just keep going. It, it would have been very easy to just turn a blind eye. Well, it's just the way the world is. But do you take time to stop and refresh someone in the Lord, maybe meet their need? Because it's the testimony of Jesus. You don't have to spend four hours preaching a message to them. You just simply needs to know that Jesus loves them. That they care. That you care. That what is going on in their life matters. Exemplifying God's power to them. Family of God, we all fail. We, we need to speak up, though, for our Savior. Amen? I need to speak up for my Savior. It's easy to not speak up. We all have other things to do. But are you speaking up for your Savior? I pray we are. Well, we're going to suffer for doing good. It's not going to be easy. People are going to maybe think you're a little weird. Gee, that's terrible in light of eternity in heaven. You ever think of that? What possesses us when we know we can, you know, speak Jesus' name? Have you ever noticed how it's His name that's tough to get out? Oh, you can talk about God. Everybody does that pretty well. Oh, yeah, well, God bless you. How about saying, Jesus sees your need? Oh, those words come out hard, don't they? Because that makes you a Jesus freak. Everybody, you know, you could, you might as well say Allah Akbar. It's the name of Jesus that is the name above every name, is it not? That's the tough one to say. He's talking about faith in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about faith in God. Do you realize that faith in God saves no one? I just shocked some of you, didn't I? Faith in God saves no one. Faith in Christ Jesus saves you. You can know all you want to know about God. You can believe God dwells in the heavens. You can know about His omniscience and omnipotence. But without faith in Christ Jesus as Lord, you will not be saved. Scripture plainly declares that. That is why it is at His name that's the only name. 
It is why when we talk about being a Christian, we are placing ourselves in Christ Jesus. We're believing in Him. We're not just believing in God. He is God's answer to man's sin problem. Is Jesus God? Yes. But He is unique. He is part of the Trinity. And though He Himself is God, He is not God the Father. And so simply knowing about an eternal being that's greater than all other beings is akin to speaking to a doorknob. You can know about a lot of things without putting any faith and trust in the one who can save. That's why his name is so hard to get out. That's why, oh, you can talk about God, but not about Jesus. Speak up for your Savior. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells the story of William Tyndale as he was awaiting his time to be killed for his faith in Christ. He had a candle inside of the area that he was being held in, and he actually stuck his, and he was going to be burned at the stake, by the way. He had a candle inside, and he stuck his hand in the flame. And it's recorded of his life that he said, as I withdrew my hand from the flame, I realized it would be impossible for me to continue to proclaim the name of Christ while being burnt at the stake. Do you realize that that's because he was trusting in his flesh? For just a moment, he lost sight and said, I I can't even put my hand in a candle flame. How am I going to die on the stake for the cause of Christ? Well, of course, he left out the element of faith. And as he did die, burned at the stake, he proclaimed Christ Jesus with his dying breath. You, You see, God is able to keep that which he has committed, which is committed to him. When God, When Christ saved us, None of us were good enough to be saved. Amen? You've been saved by grace and through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So now use that gift. It's that gift that He gave you. Now we can use it for His glory. I want you to notice something here. This passage plainly declares that Christ has defeated, destroyed, wiped out, obliterated death. That is why, as believers in Christ Jesus, we don't fear death. It doesn't mean, by the way, that we won't die. With certainty, you will die. There's two possibilities for a believer. You're either going to die and go to be with the Lord, or you're going to be raptured and go to be with the Lord. The question is the destination. Amen? you got two choices. you got heaven, you have hell. It is not a question of whether you will live eternally. Everyone lives eternally. The question is, do you have eternal life? That comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Because he defeated death. So you can either have eternal death, which is exactly what hell is, or eternal life, which is exactly what heaven is. You can either die eternally, or you can live eternally. But you will exist somewhere in eternity. Jesus Christ defeated death. For you who love Jesus, death is a stepping stone into eternal life. That's it. That's why we face it so differently than those who do not know the Lord. 
they do have anguish over that last breath because this is as good as it gets. Think about that for a moment. Without Jesus Christ, this is as good as it gets because this is way better than hell. This is, you, you may, my life is hell. Oh, no, it's not. It can get a lot worse. It can get a lot worse. And it can get a lot worse for a very long time called eternity. So what do you want? Do you want eternal life? Or do you want to agonize where Scripture declares where the worm dies not? where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Eternal torment is how hell is described. You see, what's being said here is Paul was so confident of eternal life that he didn't fear death because it's been defeated. That's why Scripture declares to us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all die. He's talking about the rapture of the church, of course. But what he says to us is at the end of that passage there in verse 55, death, where is your sting? You see, the sting of death for the believer is gone. The sting's been taken out. Probably many of you have been stung by a yellow jacket. Not a pleasant thing. But you know, if they just land on you and don't sting you, who cares? It's the sting we're concerned about. Death's going to land on you eventually. Death is going to happen for most of us, a vast majority. Unless the Lord comes today, which would be very good, by the way, for us. Not so good for those who don't know the Lord. So I believe you will tarry a while longer. But the sting's not there. It's not that scary. Now imagine if you saw a hornet and you knew it couldn't sting you. How afraid are you going to be of the hornet? You're going to be mocking the hornet. You're, you're going to be looking at the hornet going, you can't. That's not, there's no sting left in you. You're a stingless hornet. I don't care what you do. It doesn't bother me anymore. Because there's no sting to it. In Christ Jesus, there's no sting to death. It's just a threat. It kind of seems scary because it's uncertain. But it carries no sting. You see, for us this morning, as we ponder these things, as we think on them, that's why it says, Grave, where is your victory? That's why in that little glimpse that we get in the Old Testament, where the psalmist David said there in the 16th Psalm, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You're not going to soul sleep, as Seventh-day Adventism teaches. You're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord, exactly what Second Corinthians chapter 5 declares. You're going to be in one place or another, depending on how you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that certainty, as you've placed your faith and hope in trust, You simply mock death, really. Yep, we're going to die. You realize that your death is the best day of your life from a human perspective? It's the best day of your life from a human perspective. 
Because then you go to your reward. So you work, 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 and you do all those things, and you pay taxes, and you, you know, watch and raise your children, you go through all of that agony and difficulty, that's as bad as it gets for you. It gets better from there, and it is exactly the opposite for someone who doesn't know Jesus. This is as good as it gets. What this life has to offer is as good as it gets. No wonder Paul was looking forward to that heavenly mansion not made with hands. He was in prison. You get the picture here? So as you're thinking about those things in your life which are troubling you right now, when you have a heavenly perspective, you look not to avoid the issue and not to say they don't hurt or they don't bother you or if you have an unrealistic outlook, but your realistic outlook is this is as bad as it gets. One day heaven. One day you're going to step from time into eternity and for you who love the Lord, that is secure. It's glorious. It's a blessing. You see, we're going to go into the presence of the Lord. Your soul doesn't sleep. It's wide awake in the glories of heaven. You're not going to spend time in purgatory. That is taught nowhere in Scripture. gives two opportunities. And once you make the choice, and once the last breath is taken, it's a done deal why it's so important that you do not miss the opportunity to receive Christ Jesus. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. All of us could leave the parking lot of the church, pull out onto the highway, and here comes somebody at 80 miles an hour. My confidence in turning onto the highway is because my confidence in Jesus. My confidence when I go to the doctor's office to have a checkup is my confidence in Jesus. It's not in medical science. It certainly isn't in prolonging life. It's not trying to have immortality. I was reading an article in this month's edition of National Geographic. You know, the whole, uh, in essence, the artificial intelligence, in the sense we call it AI. We're now creating robots who can actually learn and begin to have some semblances of cognition. If your hope is in that, you're in trouble. I'm sitting there watching this dude in Vermont, and it's a picture of him sitting in a chair talking to the ugliest robotic head I have ever seen. And he's trying to have a conversation with it. If that's heaven, give me hell. I mean, it's like he's talking, they were talking literally about immortality. Well, we can transfer the consciousness. You're not transferring anything. It's an inanimate object. It does not have a soul. And it's not going to do you any good in eternity. God created us as eternal beings. And He wants to spend eternity with you. And He wants to give you abundant life in Christ Jesus right here and right now. That's why Paul could unashamedly preach Christ. It's why I unashamedly preach Christ to you. I, I every once in a while will get a pretty gnarly note from somebody. Well, this whole Jesus thing, you know, and I've known about God all my life, and I, I will always respond back. You need to know about Jesus. Jesus is God's answer to man's sin problem. 
He himself did not declare himself to be that answer. He declared his only begotten son to be that answer. You're partway there. But it's kind of like being partway to Disneyland. You, you, you can get in the parking lot of Disneyland and, and not ride any rides, okay? It's the same thing with knowing God. You pull up and, wow, those guys are having fun. You've you got to make the commitment to buy the ticket. And in this case, the ticket's free. All you got to do is ask for one. They're comp passes for eternity. That heavenly inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled. First Peter chapter 1 declares to us, and does not fade away. Anybody else tired of everything that fades away in this life? I was walking around my house yesterday, and I'm just looking at stuff, and we've been there, you know, 11 years or whatever, and we did a pretty substantial remodel when we got this piece of junk house and, and put it back together. I'm starting to look at it. Man, it's already falling apart again. It's like I look at it and I can't wait for this to burn to the ground. <laughs> Nothing lasts that's on this earth. Your bodies don't last. Your houses don't last. Your cars don't last. If you own a Chrysler product, you know, thank <laughs> the Lord that we now have been set free from that. We just gave away $1.6 billion. Nothing lasts. It is only Christ that lasts. Are we unashamedly proclaiming it? There are a few things that Paul says here as we begin to wrap this up. Remember, Paul was called by God. He, he didn't all of a sudden have you know a whole bunch of evidence presented to him. That's why you can never talk someone into getting saved. The Holy Spirit's at work in the world calling people into salvation. And if you can convince somebody with pure human argument, they could be talked out of it. You get saved by believing. You don't get saved because you've been convinced in the human sense of convinced. Paul was called by God. The second thing is he was called to be a teacher. In order to teach something, you have to first be taught, do you not? And I can tell you, anybody that's in here that's a teacher, you spend a lot of time learning how to teach. Amen? You went to school. You learned the material. You learned how to draft the lesson plan. All of those things that teaching implies, you must first know yourself. That's why someone cannot just simply pick up a textbook and be an effective teacher. There's a lot more to it than that. Paul had that work done in his life. He himself was first taught. He was already a follower of Christ Jesus. He had lived his life by faith. He was encouraging people to take up that which he knew at more than just a mental level. He was confident, or perhaps your translation says committed in Christ. Can I tell you that that word is actually a banking term? That confidence that we have in Christ in the New Testament is almost always a banking term. And here's how to remember what it actually means. The deposit was made into your eternal account by Christ Jesus, and the deposit that he made is sufficient for all your sin. And so the confidence that you have in Christ is on the deposit of Christ Jesus, which he made for you, so when your life's check gets cashed, it's good. 
You see, all of us have things that we can relate that to. If I go to try and pay off my house's mortgage right now, that's going to bounce sky high. There is not enough money in the guild checking account to pay off the house. Maybe we could pull off the car if we kind of move things around. But I can tell you this. When you take your last breath, you're not going to have to worry about not sufficient funds in heaven. It's a done deal. You can have utter confidence that the price has been paid. The debt of your life of sin has been erased by the blood of the Lamb. Paul had that kind of confidence. In other words, he's walking around with a big old fat wad of heavenly cash. It's like, yeah, I got enough. It's been paid for by Christ. I'm not concerned in the slightest that I'm going to get there and, oh, well, you forgot about that one. You almost made it, but it wasn't quite enough. No, he's confident that he who began that good work is faithful to complete it. You can take it to the bank. It's good. You can go cash the check. You can cash it now, and you certainly will cash it later. You can live a heavenly life now, and you can have the promise of an eternal heavenly life later. Take it to the bank. And so he begins, as he wraps this up, to remind us to be loyal to those things. In these difficult days, be loyal to Jesus. Be loyal to those friends that you have who are living godly lives. Paul was abandoned by some of his friends. Please do not abandon one another in this time of crisis in our world. We need to stand strong. We, we must, in this last however long we have on this earth, His Holy Spirit's been put in you. You now, we now, the church now is the light of the world. We, to a large degree, are the witness of Christ in this world. Certainly the Holy Spirit still convicting men of sin and of righteousness. And surely the plan of salvation can be preached through rocks and trees, but the normal methodology is someone speaking the Word of God to someone. Don't lose sight of that. Don't abandon your post is another way to look at it. Stay strong in these last days. When your family wants to know why you're okay... And, and, and why you have peace in this time of difficulty, tell them about Jesus. You know, it's nice that we give glory to God, and we should. It was His plan. But tell them about Jesus. Because then they can have that peace too. If you don't tell them about Jesus, they can know the answer uh, from afar, but they won't have the actual answer applied to their life, which is faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. We need to speak that Ephesians 4.15 truth in love. I speak to you as the church. You're able to receive meat. You may need to speak with lots of milk to those loved ones. But speak the name of Jesus. Be loyal to those who are with you in this grand journey. You know what? Walking with the Lord can be lonely at times. Amen? 
Doing the right thing in Christ Jesus can be lonely at times. I can tell you the life of a pastor at times is very lonely. You you feel like, you know, I'm speaking the truth. I know, God, you've told me to share these things, and you do it. And people are like, grumble and whine and complain. Afflicted my Part of my job is to afflict your souls. I'm sorry. If you feel good every Sunday, I've done something wrong, basically. Because I know what happens when I read his word, I get afflicted every once in a while. It's like, Lord, I could do better at that. You're confronting some area of my life where I have not been Christ-like. I need to listen to what your word says. You know, when you do that in other people's lives, you're going to get the exact same result that I get. When you start sharing Jesus with your family, not just about God, you start sharing Jesus with your family, they're going to label you a Jesus freak. They're going to label you narrow-minded and bigoted. They're going to say, well, you know, all roads lead to heaven. You're, you're not going to be in their all roads to lead to heaven club. You're not going to be in the can't we just all coexist club either. You're not, all, you're not going to be in the can't we all just get along club. You know why? Because Scripture says we can't all get along. We can't. What has light to do with darkness, Scripture plainly declares. Because if you're getting along with darkness, if you're able to live in sin and you're comfortable, I ask you to really check and see whether you're saved or not. If there's no work in your life of the Spirit going, you know what, I'm convicted of sin, and I'm convicted of righteousness, and I'm compelled to do what is right before the Lord, and change the way I live, if that's not happening, you need to take a good look at where your relationship with the Lord is. That's going to put you at odds with people. They're going to say, well, you know, man, you're a downer. You're a, you know, you, we're not inviting you to any more parties because you bum everybody out. Family of God, you're, you're going to make people consider their eternity, which is what you're supposed to do. And consequently, they're not going to be as comfortable as they once were when you were lighting up with them. When you were sitting there down in the beers at the party. When you were engaged in that behavior that is not right in the eyes of the Lord and you know it, and you have quit, and guess what? They now feel convicted every single time they're around you. You see, you're supposed to do that. And if you don't do that, then you're missing an opportunity to make sure that they know that your relationship with Jesus is real. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. Because if you say you have faith in Christ Jesus for your eternal security and salvation, and then you do not do the things he said, Jesus himself said, you are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. And when you begin to do that, people run like crazy. I don't want to be around him. I can't tell that joke that I like. I can't engage in the behaviors. You know, our our monthly trip to Vegas, it's all over. It's kind of like saying, boy, I miss going to hell. (laughs) You, You see, if you are really walking with Jesus, you're really proclaiming Jesus, 
you really understand the exclusivity of salvation because it is narrow that is the way. It is broad, the path that leads to destruction, but it is narrow, the way that leads unto righteousness. And if you live your life that way, people are going to leave you. But know this, in the fact that they left and you told them the truth, you've actually had an impact in their eternity. At least you told them the truth. You didn't let them walk away blindly believing the wrong thing. You were brave enough to tell them the right thing so that when they get to heaven's door and the door is closed, it won't be lying on you. That's why it's so important. And, you know, I I will confess to you, there are times when I don't like being transparent as a pastor, but I'm convinced, as Paul shows us here, he was very transparent. He's going to be even more transparent. Do you realize how important that is for you? On Wednesday night, we're going to be doing a study on depression because Scripture does talk about it. How many people go through things in life where they're not transparent and so consequently nobody knows that it's Jesus that healed them? I don't want anybody to know I have a problem. don't want anybody to know I've ever had a bad thought. I don't want anybody to know that I've ever struggled with anything. Family of God, the more people know you for who you are and what Jesus has done, the more powerful your witness becomes. That's a fact. Because Paul wasn't perfect. Remember who he was. This dude was a murderer. He held the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. He's like, get him, kill him, finish him off. He lives long enough to regret it, and he says that he lives long enough to regret it. You know, when you tell people you've lived long enough to regret the things that you've engaged in, and you give glory to Jesus Christ for the power that is now in you, that Holy Spirit work that's in you through that commitment to him, all of a sudden, God looks very, very, very real to everybody. Jesus' power to, to overcome sin and death looks very real to people. They may not admit it, and they may abandon you, but you've given them the real story. Please do that. Was this a dark time for Paul? Of course. What Was he perfect in every thought? He doesn't record every thought, but he records enough of them that we can know that he stood the test. He fought the fight. He endured as a good soldier, and he finished the race. May it be said of us the same thing. I love the fact that he draws attention to Onesiris, this guy whose name actually means the one who refreshes. May we take up that banner. May, may we be bold in each other's lives to refresh and build up and make sure that you're having an impact for the kingdom. And let us unashamedly proclaim Jesus as Paul did. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, maybe there is someone, I don't know. We're going to have a prayer team up front. There's no more important decision that you will ever make than that one. It's the difference in place of residence in eternity. It's that simple.
There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. It is at His name, Jesus' name, that every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess. There is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Plain statements of Scripture. You can't get there any other way. You can't have eternal life any other way. You cannot put your faith and hope and trust in anything else but Jesus. If you do, it's eternally fatal. Ponder those things. Are those tough statements? Yes, but I'm boldly proclaiming Christ Jesus to you. And you should do the same to those who know you, to those you come in contact with. Because those words are the words of eternal life. They may not be popular. They may be offensive. But they're absolutely true. May we preach Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we bow our hearts and our minds, I want to pray if there's anyone here in this place that does not know you, your word declares that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we shall be saved. That that begins a long journey, Lord, a lifelong journey of walking with you and having you renew and transform our minds. And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would not allow those persons, that one person, anyone, to leave this place without first committing their life to you, Jesus putting their faith and hope and trust in what you did on Calvary's cross. We thank you, Lord, for this time this morning, and we pray that we would unashamedly proclaim you until you take us home or until you come and get us. Whichever happens first, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you this day. We ask these things in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? If you need to pray with someone after service, right up here. We're going to pray for our offering after we worship the Lord one more time.